power on. Oh, I expected as much. You're such a limited creature. A perfect example of why we made our decision. The trial never ended, Captain. We never reached a verdict. But now we have. You're guilty. Guilty of what? Of being inferior. Seven years ago, I said we'd be watching you, and we have been. Hoping that your ape-like race would demonstrate some growth, give some indication that your minds had room for expansion. But what have we seen instead? You worrying about Commander Riker's career. Listening to Counselor Troy's pedantic psychobabble. Indulging Data in his witless exploration of humanity. We've journeyed to countless new worlds. We've contacted new species. We have expanded our understanding of the universe. In your own paltry, limited way, you have no idea how far you still have to go. But instead of using the last seven years to change and to grow, you have squandered them. Accessing historical database. Year 2020. The tech giants become aware of the greatest threat to their corporatist domination. An obscure science and tech podcast becomes a major factor in a peaceful open source revolt against the military Silicon Valley industrial complex. The podcast, Sovereign Tech. Its host, Dr. Brian Sovereign. The tech giants tried to stop Sovereign Tech. They can't. Woo! You know the old saying, it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't know, baby. And I am woo, the devil you know. It is the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, ready to get into all kinds of, I'm not going to say action, all kinds of bullshit. This week, all the latest tech news, uh, I wish it wasn't the latest tech news, but it is. Probably won't be able to get into too much science in this episode, but we certainly have plenty to talk about in a world that appears to have lost its mind. Of course, newsflash, the world or humanity has been out of its mind for, uh, well, I, <laughs> I don't know what, should we read some Herodotus perhaps? Do you have it? Alan, you have any Herodotus? Like that we could just do an epic reading right now. Oh, well, anyway, so much for the golden age. Woo! Uh, but the golden stallion, as I said, is here for you. And we have, well, I mean, let's just start getting into it. <laughs> what are you going to do? Because I'm here for you every week, baby, to either depress you, hopefully entertain you a little bit, even within our, our, our just deluge of insane news of stories that shouldn't even be possible, that are nay believable, but they are so. 
truth is always stranger than fiction, right? And actually, we're going to talk about some interesting fiction uh, later on in the show when we get past uh, a lot of what's going down in the world. But uh, again, let's break into it. You know, actually, let's let's ease into it in something that perhaps isn't so insane. So we have been on uh, on this show certainly much throughout 2020 because it's just getting proven more and more. Microsoft is just digging Windows own grave. They really are. Um, and something I think that's going to uh, add some dirt on top of that coffin of Windows 10 um, to say nothing of, oh man. <laughs> I mean, you have Windows 10 updates breaking SS, uh, SSDs. And, um, anyway, <laughs> uh, this is actually coming from now. Okay. And actually, this is going to speak to, we have a very interesting question of the week to get into. Um, that comes uh, from, well, I mean, a source that I'm as surprised as anybody else, but we'll get to that later. Um, I have brought up. You know, the idea of, and again, I'm not the only podcast or journalist or, you know, take your pick of the whatever expert, if you want to call them that, uh, that has come out and said, people look in the home. Okay. At work. Fine. But in the home, just get off of windows already. I am not the only person to be leading that charge. And also, I mean, as much as fuck Google as I, I'm basically known for those two words these days, um, as much as fuck Google, I've even said, look, go ahead, get a Chromebook. If you still, if you just feel like, holy shit, that Ubuntu installation is just too complex and you don't just buy it pre-installed on a Dell or a ThinkPad or something like that, um, then at least just get a Chromebook. Because again, the more secure we all are, the more secure we all are, right? That's part of the reason I do this show is to give you tips on varying threat levels, right? We have different threat levels on Sovereign Tech to give you tips on how to make sure you are using the most secure device possible. Because with your device being more secure, by default, my devices become more secure because we're all engaging in best practices, right? This should be, I mean, this is absolute self-preservation that people should understand, but they don't. So will I say to people, yeah, fine, use a Chromebook, please, because is it a, now not a private platform? No, but is it a secure platform? Yeah. On threat levels one and two, absolutely. Threat level three, when we start talking about, you know, nation state actors and alphabet soup organizations, of course not. But on threat level one and two that most people don't even give a shit about, yeah, they're there. They're, they're on. Um, now, I said that you don't, the, or part of the reason that I argue that, okay, fine, use Windows in the enterprise space. Part of the reason that I argue for that is that I understand there is legacy software that has been used for decades and it's a credit to, you know, sympathy for the devil, <laughs> not this devil, <laughs> but for Microsoft, I've said it many times. It is remarkable. The, the Swiss army knife of OS is that, that windows is, you know, how, how many different, um, uh, you know, DLLs, how much different software, I mean, the backwards compatibility you know, drivers and everything of windows is absolutely remarkable. It is mind boggling just how, just the fact that it can do it alone, regardless of efficacy. Um, and I, so I understand that in businesses, you know, there's stuff that you're used to using and it's windows software. And you're even used to the, you know, UI that basically Microsoft has their design languages put upon you for varying reasons, whatever. And I get that. Well, now an interesting move is that Google 
has partnered with Parallels. Now, if you're not familiar with Parallels, if you're a Mac user, you probably know what Parallels is. But they have partnered with uh, Parallels to allow for, uh, you know, for varying, uh, particularly Microsoft Office, which that's an interesting concession, but for a lot of Windows, uh, particularly uh, enterprise software, that again is traditionally Windows based to run on Chromebooks for businesses. Now they are baking parallels, which is basically, I mean, calling it an emulator is a little bit of a disservice, but for, you know, for the arguments here uh, or for the conversation here, they it's an emulator for windows software. Actually, it's also an emulator for Linux software, which is an interesting point as well. Um, but that allows you to run Linux and windows apps and software in uh, on, you know, on a Mac desktop. Okay. In Mac OS. And it, and it works really well. I mean, I've, I've messed with it myself uh, and it does a hell of a job. And this, I mean, there's, there's a lot to talk about actually. I mean, we could do a whole story around this, but I mean, let's just, let's just talk about it as far as advancing this little message that we get to in the foreplay often enough, where we talk about all the little stories we often come up with. Okay. Here's another reason to get the fuck away from windows. Uh, I mean, this one could argue again that this, yeah, this is more dirt getting put over the coffin of windows because you will be able to run Microsoft office all of its suite of, of software and apps on a Chromebook. You will be, I mean, you know, pick, I, I don't know if it's going to go so far as Photoshop. I think that's the other killer app that they've really got to make happen for Chromebooks, even though I know there's, you know, elements and, and you can get whatever creative cloud and so on. I understand that. Um, but this is a really interesting move. And I don't think I have to explain too much for you to recognize the implications here is that, now understand that these are for business Chromebooks that parallels will be baked directly in by Google into Chrome OS. Okay. It's not something for the average consumer that they're doing, even though I think it'd make perfect sense for them to allow for that in the future. Uh, but for them to do it for businesses, of course this makes sense because why do, why aren't businesses going to Chromebooks a lot of it? Because in the enterprise space, windows is still, you know, I mean that that's the tank that's still rolling around. And, to have this ability, I mean, th there's an interesting conversation to be had for Google to effectively concede that Microsoft Office is still the king, right? I mean, really, that's what they're saying. Even though I think in, in more modern businesses, you certainly, I, I don't know a modern business that still really uses Microsoft Office. And what I mean modern, I mean like more like your agile, uh, like startups or companies that have started, say, in the past decade or, or so. Uh, most of them heavily rely upon Google Docs, much to my chagrin, but they do. Um, but, you know, older, you know, large monolithic, uh, you know, mega corporations and, and whatever, you know, uh, multinationals and so on, they, a lot of them are still using Microsoft Office and will never switch away from it. Why? Because the fucking, you know, EVP or whatever, he just refuses to learn anything new uh, or go down the list of it. But now if Chrome OS can run windows apps fairly or windows software fairly natively. I don't want to call them apps. I fucking hate that word, but anyway, uh, it's software folks. If they can run software natively, then, you know, yeah, you can hand that, that, you know, 80 year old EVP. I don't mean to insult him, uh, you know, unless he's done shitty shit, which I'm sure he has, uh, to get to that position. You know, you can hand that 80 year old EVP, uh, you know, a Chromebook and there he is, he's, he's got all of his insane ribbons that he couldn't possibly know how to even use at the top and so on. And he is ready to fly and ready to go. And who knows what other, uh, you know, enterprise, uh, particularly, you know, software for the enterprise space that you could take advantage of with parallels being baked into Chrome OS. Um, 
So, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. It's an obvious move on Google's part. Parallels has got to be doing crazy money out of this money that they probably never because it's certainly a partnership they could never have imagined, you know. Uh, and so, I mean, I'll give them a little bit of kudos for, you know, winning here, uh, because I mean, it's great software. It's been around for a long time and you think it wouldn't have much of a, you know, life left in it, uh, as things go more towards mobile, but you know, Chromebooks aren't going anywhere. Um, anyway, so the other interesting, you know, point with this and, you know, there were conversations around where at one point, did they call it campfire? where Chromebooks were going to be able to dual boot into Windows. And I think that was maybe the original solution that Google had in mind is how do we get Chromebooks into businesses? How do we get these contracts? How do we get these update and repair contracts, right? Because that's really what it's all about, not the initial, uh, you know, pushing hardware. How do we get these contracts and, and have these people able to use the software that they want? You know, they wanted to do basically a crouton, uh, you know, crouton is what allows for Linux to, to coexist. I mean, now you can run Linux apps directly in um, you know, directly in Chrome OS, which works fairly well, um, you know, but, but do it for, for windows. And this is, I think I, I have to say, I think this is a more elegant solution on Google's parts uh, or Google's part. I mean, again, fuck Google, but it is elegant. Uh, I mean, we'll see how it gets implemented. It's supposed to be, this is supposed to be part of an update rolling out in the fall of 2020, I believe. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of details on it, but very, very interesting. But again, the more interesting conversation here is the fact that basically Chromebooks now, as far as a laptop or desktop form factor, are probably the most agile devices on the planet. Meaning, okay, and especially as far as ease, when you bake in ease of use. Meaning that it runs Chrome OS, okay? It runs Android apps, right? Because the Google Play Store is on it. It runs Linux apps, right? It now also runs, uh, you know, it can run Windows, some or some Windows apps. Now, I mean, I know Chrome OS could do this before because you had crossover, right? Which that's still in beta. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do a partnership with that. I mean, it makes sense to go with Parallels. They're certainly far more the experts um, and, and have a much more established code base, I would imagine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can, <laughs> I mean, other than Mac software, which actually Parallels could probably do, even though it was meant to be used the other way around, I imagine it wouldn't be that hard. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that'll be coming down the line. Uh, I mean, it, it can run everything. Like it's an all-in-one operating system that can run apps from, you know, just about anything you could imagine. I mean, I, you know, I don't know where they would be able to run iOS apps on it, but holy fuck. And it's weird too, because I feel like, I mean, Microsoft dropped the ball on this because we know, if you remember a few years ago, Windows 10, they were baking in Android compatibility layers and so on, which seemed to point at that Windows is going to be able to run Android apps. But then they they just backed off of that. They backed away. Uh, and, and I think that could be a failing on Microsoft's part because, holy shit, you know, Google's just going to swoop in. Now, to some degree, Microsoft is themselves continually conceding that Windows is not the, you know, is, is not their breadwinner, right? That that's not their, the center of their focus, okay? That they are all about their services, right? Which is why you have a Microsoft 365 account now, you know, and that gives you Office and so on and, you know, and all of that. So maybe Microsoft doesn't mind this so much because the real place that they're making money, in fact, they're probably hemorrhaging money on, right? I mean, with the amount of bugs that windows 10 has with every update that comes out lately, they've, I, I imagine windows has got to be a, a, 
it's not even a lost leader. It's just a loss. Like they got to be losing so much money on that. So I bet I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft practically gives us their blessing. If they even helped parallels. No, here, here's a little extra code. Okay. That we use for our kernel that, that will basically allow Microsoft uh, office to work better on, on your little Chromebook implementation. I would not be surprised. But again, also the, the funny concession. So, so you have, I, I think Microsoft might be conceding that. I mean, I think they've been conceding that for a while, right? That's why there's a dual screen phone, Android phone coming out later in the year, uh, supposedly. And, but, but also the concession that Google knows, uh, you know, office is here to stay. Right. And, and I mean, and I've used, I mean, I, I've messed with the Chromebook and I've used like the, the Android uh, versions of Microsoft office apps and they work okay. But certainly if you're looking to get nitty gritty, like in the enterprise space with some of those wild features in the ribbon, yeah, they're not there. And so this, this really has to be done, but an interesting move. Uh, I will say that I was, I was really, really surprised. Uh, but if this is something that ultimately gets people to say, you know, if this become has a, if, if this implementation of parallels in Chrome OS has a little bit of broader scope and people jump on this and say, well, okay, no, really now I, I can just use a Chromebook. I don't need, um, you know, to use, to use a windows machine anymore because this windows software works out of the gate. I mean, in my opinion right now, middle of the road, and I don't like to talk middle of the road because that's where you get run over. But for right now, middle of the road, great. Get people, you know, let windows die. Finally. That, that, oh, that, that, that hot garbage. Anyway, while we're talking about hot garbage whew, and stuff you should stop using, let's talk about Zoom. <laughs> uh, well, you know, this is one of those cases where, you know, sometimes I sit on a story for an episode and I'm glad I do. Um, I've brought that point up many times that you can't with so much of this stuff, you can't be a current event show because I mean, things change by the second, especially when it appears that the court of, of public opinion is so accessible and effective. I don't think it's actually effective, but that's another story uh, online, you know, with social media and Twitter and so on. Um, it was a few days ago. So the story I'm going to read to you is from June 18th. Days previous, there had been a running fiasco going on with Zoom, and it was somewhat of a newer one. And that was, is that, okay, so we talked about, I think it was in the last episode of the episode previous, that Zoom had bought uh, Keybase.io. Now, it came out, finally, I mean, you know, we didn't have a lot of details, and we still don't have a lot of details on what that acquisition, you know, Basically, what did they pay? You know, a lot of the the, the minor, they're not so minor, but the, the little stuff, uh, a lot of the legalese we don't know. But one thing we did discover was that the encryption for Keybase, which is fantastic, was fantastic, would only be available to enterprise subscribers for Zoom. And that it wasn't going to be available for like free accounts, you know, and, and I mean, there's, I guess there's varying account tiers for Zoom. I'm not entirely familiar with what those are, but bottom line being is that that was going to be used for the enterprise space for, you know, paying customers and so on. Now, Zoom has become, this is, this is important to understand. Zoom has very much, despite what Google's trying to do with Meet, where now that's fucking everywhere. It's in Gmail. It's all over place. You have the dot new domains now that you can access and everything with it. Um, you know, and, and what Microsoft certainly is trying to do with teams, you know, and, and, and Skype and so on. And was what's the Facebook has one too. 
messenger groups or something like that, where you're, it's, it's a virtual chat room or like a visual chat, whatever. Um, but despite all those efforts, Zoom, certainly within education, uh, you know, within the education system in the United States anyway, has become really the de facto way of doing uh, uh, remote schooling. Okay. And a lot of those accounts, you got to understand, are are generally free. Like you just open up a Zoom account. I mean, especially when it became the thing to do. And we've talked about this. We had Ellen on, uh, you know, talking about her experience, uh, you know, university with this where, you know, and, and, and I could, I'd ask her, but I, I think basically most people, it's not like this, it's not like colleges or schools or whatever, just suddenly gave everybody a zoom account. Um, I'm sure they did to, you know, teachers, professors, and so on, but you know, most people just like would log in and cause you can more or less log in as a guest or, well, no, you do have to make some of an account now, but I mean, th- again, the, the feature set for zoom has changed dramatically just in the past three months, uh, compared to what you used to do or what, you know, what it used to be. But anyway, you know, you just make a free account and you get on. It's not like everybody's doling out accounts for this. And so, you know, the bulk of your free accounts that really need to use zoom quote unquote need are free accounts of, you know, students in varying forms. So to not allow for, you know, this great encryption that they got access to, which was a total PR play with Keybase. Okay. And we talked about that and I'm not the only one to say it in the security field, but to not allow, you know, your everyday or, you know, your free accounts to use it is a problem. Now to make it worse, the CEO of zoom came out and said that the reason that they are not allowing free accounts to to be end-to-end encrypted with this hot new encryption was so that they could comply with, you know, FBI with basically with law enforcement. Now that statement, okay, is kind of loaded. And in fact, I don't think you used the word comply. I did, but bottom line, you are complying. Now there is a, Okay, there's there's a couple of things that we we got to break down on on this conversation. Okay, one is is that free accounts not having end to end encryption kind of makes sense in the way that or like those kinds of calls kind of make sense. You know, I mean, there's with Zoom the fact that you can call into Zoom with a with a phone line sort of precludes that, that, you know, there's at least one element of this conversation that doesn't have, uh, that isn't encrypted anyway. Right. I mean, you could say that the recording is somehow encrypted on their servers or whatever, but I mean, all it would take is somebody else listening in on an office phone or something to hear what's happening. And so, I mean, granted, you know, somebody's in person, I mean, that could be done on a computer too, but point being is that, you know, there's elements where encryption would be an issue or, you know, trying to do encryption become an issue based upon the versatility of the software. Uh, I would not be surprised if somewhere in the future, Zoom eliminated the, you know, the call-in feature, the phone call-in feature. Regardless, um, there's that. There's also where you had, what did they call it? Zoom bombing? Where you had people, you know, like basically breaking into, quote-unquote, breaking into rooms or invading uh, Zoom chats, classes, whatever, and showing off a bunch of porn or whatever the fuck is happening. Right. 
that's when they added in that, that you, you know, for somebody to enter a zoom meeting. Now there's a new feature where you have to click add. They can't come in until, you know, the, the host adds them uh, to make sure that, I mean, password protection existed beforehand, but that's been beefed up a bit as well. Okay. Point being is that, yeah, there was some stuff that people would see as offensive, illegal, et cetera, that were going on because of the invasion of free accounts. All right. And so, and, and again, because they could be deemed as illegal, there, you know, might need to be legal action taken. Zoom would ultimately be held accountable for that, uh, or at least they want to say that they would assist their users, like in the, or, you know, in whatever space that they would assist their you know users in trying to find out what the fuck happened. And that would require handing information over to law enforcement, or it would quote unquote require, right? So the idea that they wanted to work with, you know, alphabet soup organizations with law enforcement, I mean, there is a quasi benign reason that, that, that makes some sense. Okay. Now, do they also want to play ball with the NSA whenever the NSA just wants to spy on something that they care to want to spy on? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I guarantee you that's there too. Okay. But you know, there, there are genuine reasons that make sense why you wouldn't do this, but there was a massive backlash around the matter. And now, uh, basically cause for about a week, two weeks or so, you know, this is, this was the running order. I mean, and you know, real quick, actually zoom did by the way. So zoom was during the Hong Kong protests recently. Uh, Zoom was also used during those for helping with coordinating and, you know, whatever, spreading information, et cetera. Uh, Zoom did play ball with the Chinese government, handing them information, um, you know, based around Zoom use by protesters. So that's why that's why I can confidently say to you, I guarantee you that Zoom, yes, wants to be able to play ball with the authorities. Okay, it's not just for the sake of, you know, Zoom bombings and, and other activity that happens on there, uh, you know, to protect their users and clients, but it's also to, you know, basically suck the government cock, as we say. Now, originally, this had been festering for a while, and Zoom just got so much shit and so much heat for this. And regardless of how they tried to explain it away and they didn't do a good job again, I can come up and I can, you know, I can express the reasons why this might've been done, but regardless, zoom has now come out as of June 18th, they have come out and said that end to end encryption will be for everyone. And the beta for it will be starting in July. So they, they have had, um, you know, a complete turnaround, a complete, more or less a complete 180 on this. Um, I mean, this is, you know, ultimately let's, let's call it, this is the nature of doing encryption, right? Is that, you know, just like, I mean, with, with cryptocurrencies, right? Uh, in fact, I saw somebody, I don't know, there, there were some major cryptocurrency quote unquote thefts that have occurred and so on. Uh, and, and everybody's flipping out because, oh, we can't trace what happened. We don't know what happened. This is terrible. Why do we use cryptocurrencies and all this? I mean, it's the privacy Privacy comes with inherent risks, okay? But those risks, it's like, you know, it's a door that swings both ways, right? Yes. Does it protect the criminal? Yes, but it also protects you from being uh, falsely accused or protects you from, uh, you know, nefarious regimes or whatever else. 
Okay. But that's, you know, again, it gets into this whole safety conversation that, well, we're not going to have here. Okay. Not right now anyway. But Zoom says, no, fine, we'll, we'll do it. Now, I can't help. I mean, they've, they've posted their end-to-end end encryption, uh, you know, scheme on onto GitHub, which we're going to talk about GitHub here soon. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so one would argue that there's not a backdoor there, okay, for that they could hand over to the NSA or whatever to allow to continue to work with them. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is... It'll be interesting to see which way, which way this goes, but basically zoom has backed down and they're like, okay, we're going to end to end encrypt uh, everything. And they are doing the right thing by, you know, having this open source encryption, allowing security researchers to take a look at it. Um, I still think that ultimately there could be cookies, which zoom has done before that there could be cookies that they would, uh, you know, when you have to install their app that, may give access to varying data that supposedly the end-to-end -end encryption wouldn't be, or it was supposed to protect. I could still imagine something along those lines. So don't think that this is perfect. You should still stay away from Zoom. Ultimately, even the way they've been handling everything, every fiasco that's been going on for the past two, three months uh, has been a an absolute failure. You can apologize right and left. You should have gotten this right before. And I, I just, I feel like just, it's very slimy. The, the, don't, if you can help it, don't use Zoom. Okay. Do we need to talk about what Zoom alternatives are and so on? Uh, yeah, that, that can be a bigger conversation, certainly, that we can have. And there are plenty of people trying to become the proper Zoom alternative. I am not going to recommend that you go running to Google or Microsoft or Facebook, for fuck's sake, for that matter. No. Okay. But we can have that conversation at, you know, in the future. Though, speaking on the side of platforms that I do think are, are on the safer side, I say safer, of course, there's no such thing as 100% safe, but on the safer side uh, to use, Telegram. Interesting news about Telegram. They are no longer, the, the app itself is no longer being blocked in Russia. Um, now, some, of course, I mean, that's, that's a very interesting bit of drama because, of course, the founder of Telegram, Pavel Durov, uh, is Russian and, you know, created basically, or was one of the co-founders of the Russian Facebook, that being VK, um, which he stepped away from because of, well, I mean, depends on what you want to believe or which part of the story actually inspired him, but basically due to government overreach, which certainly happened here. And the government's overreach is a concern that people had in that maybe we shouldn't use Telegram anymore because in their terms of service in Russia, they had to include some very nasty language. Um, that or or they got I shouldn't say well yes it is in the terms of service but the 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 Russian government I think it was actually Roskomnadzor I love that <laughs> they they came out uh, and said that um, well there was a statement or no it was, yeah it was the the Russian FC that, that's like the Russian FCC Roskomnadzor in fact if you listen to security now you hear it's funny every time Steve Gibson says it, uh, and I'm probably not pronouncing it right either. But anyway, they made a statement saying that, quote, we positively assess the readiness expressed by the founder of Telegram to, it's amazing they wouldn't use his name, uh, to counter terrorism and extremism. So a lot of people think that this is a case, much like what we were talking about with Zoom CEO, where they're saying, yeah, we need to be able to play ball with the government. We need to be able to hand over data when necessary. If there is terrorism or extremism or whatever the fuck else other ism that they want, you know, whatever the boogeyman du jour is over there. Um, 
However, basically, I, everybody has to get that statement from Roskosmanzor to, you know, work in Russia. Okay. Does that mean that Telegram is actually going to hand over data when asked? Because that has happened, by the way. Um, and part of the reason that they were blocked originally was because they had, you know, basically Telegram had refused to hand over data on Russian uh, users. And an interesting point, though, came up where and I, I think this came right from Duroff and he and I want to read this. OK. He says, great news. This is this is his response to what Raz Kosmanzor said and about the response to Telegram not being blocked in Russia anymore. Great news. Roskomanzor has officially unlocked Telegram in Russia. I congratulate all Russian Telegram users on this positive change, and I hope it will be long term. All right, there's point one. I hope it will be long term. There's another point I want to give you, though. What will change in practice as a result of the unlock? The stability and speed of Telegram mobile application in Russia should increase. Direct web links to Telegram channels and services will also become available without VPN, which will lead to an increase in the number of channel and chat participants. At the same time, there are no changes in the safety of personal data. The right to confidentiality and confidentiality of personal correspondence remains a fundamental principle of Telegram in all countries. Um, he goes on a little bit. I have a link in the show notes if you want to read more of what he had to say. But those those are the two points. He says, I hope it will be the long term. Basically, he is bracing you and himself and Telegram for the time when he is going to have to say no and tell the, the Russian government to take a, you know, a long walk off of a short pier. The other point is that he's actually sneakily telling you how if that does happen, here's how you solve the problem, at least for now. He brings up using it without a VPN. Those are his exact words. He's like, you'll be able to do this now without a VPN. But he's telling you if in the future something happens, just use a VPN. He's very sneakily getting that in there. That, that was damned clever language that somebody at Roskomanzor and the Russian government must have gotten pissed off about. But regardless, he did it. Uh, of course, like myself, Pavel Durov is an anarchist. Triple black wearing the whole damn thing. All right. And... Yeah, I, I applaud this. I when I read it, I don't think, in fact, where the sources that I read it from, because I'm not in the Russian Telegram group, uh, the sources that I read it from, none of them seem to pick up on that, on his very particular use of language. But I as soon as I read it, I was like, that's exactly how I would have said it. I would have been saying now you don't have to do this, this, this would which would be effectively telling every giving everybody instructions how to use this in case it gets shut down. <laughs> And I thought that was damn clever. So, I mean, maybe he didn't do that on purpose, but I get the sense that he did. And while we're talking about VPNs, what's what the hell? Um, no, I'm not going to an ad sponsor or a sponsor or anything. <laughs> um, the Firefox VPN or what, what do they like to call it? The FPN, I think. Anyway, uh, the Firefox VPN, which I actually tried out the beta for a little while um, and was l largely impressed. Uh, I mean, I, I rose some concerns. Uh, in, in past episodes, just, and they're, they're not really concerns around WireGuard. They're not really concerns around Mozilla themselves. It was just the, the implementation caused some, some buggy affairs, uh, particularly on a windows desktop, which what's the real problem there? Windows, of course it is. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but in fact, one thing I said was that with, with the, you know, with Firefox VPN, the best place where, where it actually works the best and, and it's just a solid implementation is actually on Chromebooks. And the only platforms it's available on uh, is, you know, it's Android and Chromebook. Of course, makes sense why it'd be on both of those. 
and Windows as it stands right now. It is coming to Mac and Linux, but you know that's that that's where it is right now. Uh, I mean, it works brilliantly on on Chromebooks. Um, I wasn't as impressed with it. It was a little bit of a, a little bit extra of a battery drainer I felt on Android than some other uh, VPNs that I use. Uh, but also, I mean, like if you use Google Fi as your telco, you don't need another VPN, right? I, well, I mean, you can have one for, I guess, certain things. But overall, with, with Google Fi, you can have Google's VPN running all the time. What? I'm handing all that information over to Google? Yes. Yes, you are. But when you use Android, you're already doing that. <laughs> so you might as well hide it from the fucking other telcos. Hide it from Verizon or whoever else. And anyway, that's another conversation. And it sure as fuck isn't an endorsement for iOS, not even close. Um, but anyway, the Firefox VPN, if it's something you're interested in, if you're deep in Firefox ecosystem, which has been growing throughout 2020 and has gotten very interesting throughout 2020, uh, we're probably, we'll probably end up talking about Firefox a little bit later as well. Uh, the, the VPN beta is now open to the public. You used to have to sign up and wait. I signed up a while back. It took, I don't know, two, three weeks before they, they gave me, uh, uh, you know, access to it. And originally, so in the beta, um, you paid five, I think I paid $5 a month uh, for it, which isn't out of, you know, that's not in crazy town as far as price, monthly pricing for, for VPN. Certainly there's much cheaper out there. You definitely want to pay for VPN. Uh, don't confuse me on that. Um, but I guess the price is going to come. They're going to have subscription services where the price can go down to two ninety nine uh, a month, which becomes that gets very competitive as far as pricing goes. Um, of course, will this ultimately be something baked into perhaps a future Firefox premium account, right? Where you pay all one fee and you get all of these privacy features and all this, you know, entire security suite and everything else like we've predicted. Probably. But, you know, for $2.99 a month, even standalone, that's pretty damn good. Again, really, if I were you, especially if your VPN is mission critical, you should not be using a beta of a VPN. So, you know. It's really only use this if you're, I mean, because like, even if you're part of what interested me initially was, oh, I want to try out WireGuard. And I mean, I could have gone with Molvad, but I, you know, it's like, okay, I'll try it with Firefox. That's fine. Um, and, and again, especially on Chromebook, great fucking experience. Um, but now like private internet access, which is the main VPN that I've been using for years and years and years, uh, they, they do WireGuard now. I mean, so, you know, it's not the only WireGuard game in town that is more widely available. Uh, so, you know, there, there's no real winner there. This is again, really only if you want to stick within Firefox's, uh, or within Mozilla's ecosystem uh, of software, which again is, a, is for what it's becoming is very impressive, I think. But Silicon Valley admittedly rarely impresses. And with the rest of this episode, um, I think we're going to drive that point home. And I want to get into one last story here for the foreplay. Then we'll get into our main story. We'll get into HackSec. We'll get into all the segments of the show. Um, and I want you to listen very carefully to my words so that you do not misconstrue me, okay, in what I am saying here. Of course, and we have talked about them. We, you know, the, the uh, Black Lives Matter protests and so on are, are ongoing. Um, the reaction to the death of, or to the murder of George Floyd and so on is ongoing. Um, yes, it was a murder uh, by a police officer. If, if you if you think I, you know, before anybody confuses my thoughts on that. But now on June 2nd, 2020, 
there was a, a hashtag and, and you know anything that's root striking can't have a hashtag right because if you're actually going to strike at the root you're probably going to have to do it on on the down low <laughs> as, <laughs> as a certain rapper would say but anyway you had hashtag blackout tuesday now a lot of companies uh influencers people on social media yada 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 they all took part in this to show solidarity with you know with BLM with the, with black lives matter um apple did something particularly interesting and and uh, you're going I want you to again listen to me to where to what I the point I'm making with this okay apple on tuesday and I want to say for, I don't know, around maybe 48 hours after the fact, um, I, I'm pretty sure this is, this has gone back, um, the, in, in the Apple music app. Okay. And this, as I understand it was on iOS and Android. I don't use the Apple music app. I am not interested in using the Apple music app ever. And this is part of the reason why basically Apple pulled a server switch. I don't think it took an update of the app. They pulled, they just simply pulled a server switch remote, totally remotely that turned off the browse feature on uh, Apple music. And so you were then forced on blackout Tuesday and a little bit beyond you were forced on blackout Tuesday to only listen to Apple's one, you know, one of the things Apple music has is like these curated, like radio networks that they like to call them, even though they don't necessarily have ads or whatever. I don't know. I don't fuck with the shit, but you were basically forced to listen to beats one, which is their flagship quote unquote uh, radio program. And the whole time they were playing rap songs. Now that's fine. I don't give a shit if they're, you know, if, Rap, whatever. That's great. Okay. <laughs> Play rap. I don't, I don't care. The part that bothers me with this, and this is something that plays off of matters that we talked about. I want to say in episode 377. In that when you eliminate, when you lose control of the user interface, which often happens with any of these apps or when the data ultimately is not local, as in, in this case, when your music is not locally stored on your device, you lose control of that data. Okay. Or you lose more importantly, you lose access, which is ultimately control, but you lose access. Apple was able to just flip a switch and effectively, I mean, let's just talk about it in the abstract. Okay. I want you to remove this. I understand. Of course, I think Silicon Valley doesn't give a, nor does the music industry. Neither of them give a rat's goddamned ass about racism. They don't. And we will prove that point more as we go through this episode. Okay. They just, just stop. All right. I, I, I hear where Apple thought they were coming from and blah, blah, blah. And if you think that, oh, wow, they really understand me because they blocked everybody from listening to anything but rap for a day. I have a list of books I would, <laughs> I would like to hand you. <laughs> uh, look at this in the abstract. You 
if you rely, if you're one of those like Spotify people, because I mean, and Spotify, I think did something somewhat similar or YouTube or whatever. If you rely on any of them for access to your music and music is an important thing, folks. Now, see, here's the thing. Here's what you're going to think. You're going to say that, no, here's a, for, here's a white guy complaining about that. He can't get something. He's whining that he can't get something. No, I'm not complaining at all. All right. First off, I'm Jewish. Second off, I'm not complaining. I have no problem with this. All of my data is fucking local. I don't rely on these fucking streaming services for two seconds. I am saying this to prove a point that I have made that when you do not keep your data local, when you do not have, you know, access that you control, that you specifically control to whatever the fuck is you consider yours or you want or blah, blah, blah. And that is part of your day. If you hand it all over to Silicon Valley or all over to, to whatever entertainment industry, the music industry with these streaming services and everything else. Okay. And it goes beyond just entertainment as the, UI, the devices that you use, the UI that you use, as you give up more and more direct hard switch control, I mean, all different types of control, as you hand that over, you effectively will lose access. And this was my concern that I brought up. And I think this is particularly when we were talking about, it was the episode, yeah, it was episode 377 called Fucked Reality. This is exactly what I was talking about. And in that instance, we were talking about surface earbuds, but also that eventually, um, you know, like even, even Apple's AirPhones or AirPods, I mean, would, would end up, you know, that, that the phone would go away and you would interact through everything with voice and it would all just be, you'd be interacting through what's in your ear. Okay. And you would have zero UI. You would have what I call hooey hands-free UI. You would no longer have access to it and you could only have access to what the acceptable voice commands, according to Apple or Microsoft or Google or whoever, you know, would allow for. And point being is that you know, imagine, I mean, this is a preview of what that future could look like where no today, the music industry would only like you to hear X. And there it is. Yes. You know, and, and, and I mean, is losing access to Apple music, something to go storm city hall about? No, of course it's not. Okay, but it is a preview of what is to come. I don't have it lined up in here. In fact, it's very, it's very interesting. Um, I mean, this point about local data and, and, and we're, we're, we need to keep hammering on this. Okay. I don't think I'm going to be, I, this is not a story I think I have planned for this episode. I think it's a future one, but basically where a documentary or parts of a documentary that was critical of COVID-19 whatever. I think the documentary, you know, <laughs> I couldn't, I, I couldn't care less about this documentary. All right. But the, what basically what happened was, is that there was a YouTube video of the documentary that removed the parts of it that would have made it questionable based upon YouTube's algorithms of taking things down based around misinformation. Of course, a lot of times we know that misinformation just means what isn't the, uh, the accepted verbiage by either the populace, whatever industry or whatever complex. Okay. Um, they would put links in the YouTube video though, to the scenes that they had to cut out, say that would go to a Google drive link where there would be a, um, 
you know, where, where, the, where there would effectively be the, that video and you could watch it. So I think it was the Washington Post reached out to YouTube about this. Again, we'll, we'll cover this story in the future because there, there's just a lot to talk about within it, but it's appurtenant to this as well. The Washington Post reached out to Google about it and Google deleted this the parts of this documentary off of somebody's personal Google Drive. Now you could say, is Apple within their rights to force you to listen to whatever music you are as a business? Is Google within their rights to delete whatever they want off of their servers? Yeah, if you want to get vulgar about it, sure. But then, do you want to use services that do that? I don't. Do you want to live in a future where, you know, just because what you're either listening to or what you're either, uh, you know, storing, what video you're storing or whatever is not considered acceptable by modern society, okay, which is sick in and of itself. It's part of the problem of what people are getting hot and bothered about, you know, where, where it can just get deleted and taken away from you. You have to keep access and control and local storage of your data. If you rely on streaming stuff, and even if you're relying on cloud storage, the Google Drive story, I think the doc, I don't even want to mention the name of the documentary because I just don't care. But let's just say it rhymes with pandemic. All right. Fuck, fuck the documentary. I don't care about the documentary. I care about the fact that Google, because of pressure from like a journalist or, or a company or whatever, will delete, could potentially delete my files. That's a problem. I also refuse, especially from Apple and including the music industry. And I mean, folks, you know, I know Prince and his, his stance on IP is, is, is not exactly like the best conversation to have around anarchists, but read up about Prince and the music industry and the battles that he went through for, cause again, for a while he wasn't even called Prince. Okay. You know, he was, he was the artist formerly known, right? He was just the symbol read all about that. I mean, he <laughs> Prince and, and many other actually rappers themselves have made the case of where the music industry, I mean, they will use language like, Hey, it is a master and slave relationship. They will call it out and that that the music industry is regularly disrespecting and taking advantage of black culture and so on. You know, I mean, and, and, and I firmly believe that they do. Why for a second do you think that they would give an ass? I mean, they don't care. They are taking advantage of a situation. Maybe they're hoping they'd get some record sales or something, or they're doing some little bullshit to make you feel like, oh, we care about black lives. Are you kidding me? Why? Because you took, I mean, as serious as it is for an app to, to completely remove a feature and access to stuff that you pay for. Okay. As serious as that is again, in the abstract, remove it from BLM in the abstract of that capability, right? We just, we, we need to call this straight. No hashtag. No, I mean, everybody on Twitter, Thinking that, I mean, you go online and all these companies are doing, I don't know, Amazon puts up a little thing that says Black Lives Matter, but then, you know, they're offering their services to the police. Yes, they are. And they continue to. And we'll talk about that in a minute or in, in a little bit in this episode. Um, nobody's nobody's doing anything about this. I mean, all the shit that's happening online doesn't do jack shit. Playing rap for a day that, oh, geez, man. I mean, no, 
wow, everything's going to change, you know? Big Orange, that slap nuts in chief in Washington, he's going to get on his knees and say, I'm so sorry. You're going to have, you know, racists all over the world just go, oh, oh, I never knew. Oh, 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 this hashtag changed my mind about my racist ass shit. Uh, you know, or, or, oh, oh, I listened to that music. I heard, oh, oh, now I'm no longer a member of the KKK. Uh, no, I, no more MAGA for me. No, no, no. I, I am, I'm with you. I'm with the protesters now. Give me a break. That's not to say people shouldn't do what's within their powers and efforts and what they think they can do. But I know a lot of people online who, if they really gave a shit, there'd be a lot more getting done. If, if they wanted to, you know, be a part of this conversation, not just the conversation, but, and it, it's not like, well, that they should, they're white and they should just be listening or something like that. No, no, no. It's so fucked up. Anyway, the abstract point is that, yes, as you, as the devices get smaller, as you lose more and more hardware switches, as you, as your data gets stored in the cloud and so on, you ultimately lose control of it and access to it. And basically it is no longer yours. That's what this little story tells in the abstract. Okay. And it's important to, to grasp it in the abstract. Now, I will be back with more because I want to talk more about bullshit things that these companies are doing to make it seem like somehow they care and they don't. We'll be right back with more Sovereign Tech. Hey, is Sovereign Tech not enough for you? Well, let me tell you about something you'll never get enough of. No, no, I mean it. We're talking about a radio show and podcast that goes all night long, seven nights a week, three hours a night, 365 days a year, and has been going since the early aughts, baby. I am talking about none other than Free Talk Live. It's the show you control. That's right. It's an open phones call-in show that is ready for you. And if you're worried that your voice isn't going to get heard, don't be. We are talking about the only libertarian radio show stateside, and not only that, it's also the number 26 talk show in the United States. Start listening now and go ahead and hit that massive back catalog at freetalklive.com. The Golden Stallion guarantees a good time, and you might even find some episodes with me on them when you do. That's freetalklive.com, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Let's get back to the show. The main story. It is time for the main story, folks. I have said countless time for, times for years. And in fact, I quoted my dear and departed friend, Harlan Ellison. Racism is so deeply ingrained in civilization that most people just, they don't even realize it. And I firmly believe that. Okay. So please don't confuse where I sit on this stuff. However, as far as what's being done about it by certain companies, not individuals, not even, you know, people out on the streets, whatever else, what's being done by companies. That's all I'm concentrating on. Okay. Uh, will I tell, will I call bullshit on them? Absolutely. Yes. 
because to do something about it, well, as the old saying goes, there are ways and there are ways. And what I'm about to talk about is not one of the ways. GitHub, of course, famously bought out by Microsoft uh, in the past uh, couple of years, I guess, or a year and a half ago. We talked about it when it when it went down. Um, the story's from ZDNet, and uh, it's from June 14th, 2020. I want to read it here. GitHub to replace master, the word master, with alternative term to avoid slavery references. GitHub getting on board legitimizes movement aimed at removing racially charged language from software. Let me read a little bit of the story. GitHub is working on replacing the term master on its service with a neutral term like main to avoid any unnecessary references to slavery. Its CEO said on Friday, the code hosting portal is just the latest in a long line of tech companies and open source projects that have expressed support for removing terms that may be offensive to developers in the black community. This includes dropping terms like master and slave for alternatives like main default primary and secondary, but also terms like blacklist and whitelist for allow list and deny slash exclude list. Real quick on that last one, I, I heard about that a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think going with red and green list would have been the better move, but then, I, you know, and whatever, then people said, yeah, but red list could mean Native Americans or something. And okay, uh, moving on. The concern is that continued use of these racially loaded terms could prolong racial stereotypes. Quote, such terminology not only reflects racist culture, culture but also serves to reinforce, legitimize, and perpetuate it, wrote academics in the 2018 journal. So this is an important point to bring up is that this is something that has been in the works, shall we say, for some time. And it actually really has. Okay. This is not something that is, you know, I'll give some credit words due that it's not something that they just decide to come up with out of nowhere because of, you know, BLM and because of the protests and so on. Uh, it is something that's been going on for a while. And it's also to say that that's been going on for a while in Silicon Valley. It's also a conversation that's been had a few times on this show on sovereign tech because long ago or not that long ago, but within the past decade, the term actually is longer than a decade. Now the term motherboard was replaced uh, popularly with mainboard. And I took issue with that years ago when that became a thing. So this is also not new for me to complain about. And it was long before BLM and had nothing to do with racism. And did I just give away that I'm going to complain about this? Well, guess what? I am. All right. Is this a life threatening affair? Is this, you know, uh, no, <laughs> but there's a point I want to get to. Let me keep reading a little bit. Now spurred by the Black Lives Matter protests across the U.S., the tech community is engaging again in efforts to remove such language from source code, software applications, and online services. For starters, the Android mobile operating system, the Go programming language, the PHP unit library, and the curl file download utility have stated their intention to replace 
blacklist slash whitelist with neutral alternatives. Similarly, the OpenZFS file storage manager has also replaced its master slave terms used for describing relations between storage environments with suitable replacements. Uh, Gabriel uh, Sapo, a software engineer at LinkedIn, said on Twitter this week that he's also in the process of filing requests to update many of Microsoft's internal libraries and remove any racially charged phrases. Other projects that don't use racially charged constructs in their source code or, uh, or user interface directly are now looking at their source code repositories. Most of these projects manage their source code via the Git software or the GitHub uh, online portal, which provides Git-based source code hosting, uh, hosting, blah, blah, blah. Both Git and GitHub use the term master for the default version of a source code repository. Developers fork a version of the master to create secondary versions and add their own code to this default version and then merge their changes back into the master. Now, several open source projects are changing the name of their default Git repo from master to alternatives like main, default, primary, root, or another. For example, ZDNet found that projects like the OpenSSL encryption software library, uh, automation software Ansible, Microsoft's PowerShell scripting language, and so on, uh, are looking at changing the name of their default source code repos in a bid to stamp out racially charged and slavery-related terms in a way of showing support for the BLM movement and their protests. Um, let, 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 let's just, let's get to it. Uh, <laughs> I, I guarantee you, okay, what is my guarantee worth? Well, maybe not much. But I basically guarantee you that the term master and slave in a tech context had nothing to do with black slavery or slavery of any group in the United States or, you know, around the world throughout history. These are terms. Okay. Now um, let me go back to the motherboard main board problem. All right. Here's the deal. Main has a definition. Mother has a definition. Would you agree with me that mother and main have two very different definitions? Yes, they do. Now, which one is the more accurate for the board that the processor happens to sit upon? Mainboard or motherboard? Okay, but again, remember, it's not just the processor that sits on there. there. Everything sits on there. The RAM, I mean, basically anything that's not connected with a SATA cable, okay, is, you know, connect, is on that board. And all of it is controlled by what? The central processing unit, right? That's, that's the processor, the CPU. The CPU is ultimately the controller and thus the mother because when you say, well, here, this is something that I actually get annoyed by, but I understand why people do it, why it's so prevalent, because it kind of works. When you compare some part of the human body or the human body entirely to a machine or a computer, right? Or you compare a car to a computer or vice versa and so on, you know, like it just, it's, it's useful analogies. Okay. And I understand why I don't like doing it because also they are not, one is not the other. But at the same time, it can, in a pinch, it can be helpful. I get that. Now, saying that what a CPU does, okay, what a processor does, what a, what the Northbridge does, what the RAM does, all right, what the Southbridge does, what the capacitors do, lots of other things. 
to call that main does not describe the actions being done on that board and the purpose of that board. It says it's the center of it all, sure, but it's not describing accurately the, you know, the processes involved. And that's where the word mother makes perfect sense. Absolutely perfect sense because it is caring for, nurturing, protecting, teaching, even one could go so far as to say milking based upon certain processes. Okay. Like it is a term that describes what that board does. Calling it a motherboard is not, I mean, yes, it's akin to calling something the motherland, but then also that's a term. I mean, that, that has certain like it, that it's something that protects you. It's something that, that holds you. Maine does not say any of that. I'm not arguing for the word motherland, you know, I mean, that that gets into patriotism and all this, okay, and and is used by patriots, right? <laughs> so that, that's a very different story where we know the we know what the origin is, okay? The, the term mother is absolutely respectful when you're talking about motherboard and mainboard. Now, the term master and slave has been a part of computing forever. I mean, forever. It has been a part of that. It is more than software. I mean, it, it's a way of describing hardware interactions and so on on the motherboard itself. Okay. But I want you, you know, if we're going to pop in some, uh, uh, some examples, let's have the examples. And I think the motherboard mainboard argument is a great one because again, mother says, I mean, just think it in your mind, all right, what it brings up for you. Now it doesn't bring up, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it doesn't make, I mean, really, and, and, and I know, I know I've known people who have had terribly abusive parents and so on, you know, that I've worked with at tech companies. And I remember when this conversation started and basically even asking them, it's like, you know, what does, when, when you hear the word motherboard, what do you think abusive? Do you think something terrible? Do you think something disrespectful? No, quite the opposite, because we do have this like understanding of what that, you know, basically a, a dictionary definition of what a mother is and maybe even a, a certain expectation culturally of what that is. Now you might say that that speaks against this use of master slave, but I don't think it does. So master slave, for example, in, I mean, in the case with software, when you have a, you know, a, well, in the music industry, is the music industry going to jump on this one too? You know, while they're playing rap for everybody, are they going to jump on this? Are they going to get rid of the masters? Do you really, when, when you hear somebody talk about, um, yeah, I made these from the master tapes, you know, that, that we remastered this album. Do you somehow instantly think of people working in the fields or, you know, putting bricks up to build the pyramids or something like that? No, the fuck you do. Oh, really? I challenge you. I mean, are you going to have to change like every time, you know, speaking of music, we'll, we'll, we'll run with that a little bit. Are you going to have to change like every, I mean, actually just, just this year, there's been so many, uh, 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 remastered versions of albums. Are you going to, you know, are, are we going to clamor for all of those to get changed? And I get it. I get it. I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, but Brian, every little bit helps every little bit. This, no, 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 no. I want, I mean, I, I, there's more to this conversation because we need to talk about descriptors. Okay. But right here in the center, I want you to tell me that you genuinely believe. Go ahead. Email me. Call in. Where, where's my call in number? You can leave a voicemail to me, baby. 347-474-0069. 
347-474-0069. You can call in and leave your message. And I want you to tell me that Microsoft, GitHub, Amazon, I mean, because we're going to talk about them during HackSec, uh, go, IBM, whoever, that somehow they give a shit about you, that they give a shit about racism, that they give a shit about any of this. No, they don't. You know it. How much data do they have to collect before they realize what a lot of listeners at this show realize is that governments are inherently abusive, destructive institutions, unethical institutions, and anathema to the growth of the human condition. They haven't figured that out yet. That's hard to believe. But what do they do? They work with them. Yes, they're still working with them. Okay, and this is going to get to my point because we're going to talk about facial recognition and the horseshit that these companies are putting on you. Okay, if you think, if you think that somehow they care because they're changing the terms master and slave, but then they're still, you know, schlepping around facial recognition and they are, we're going to talk about it. Are you kidding? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. You can't tell me that you are so down to the point of language that you are so concerned about this. Okay. About references to slavery and references to other things, but then you have no problem with, you know, basically spying on the you know entire citizenry of a country. Give me a break. Now, master slave. The term, especially with computers, it has a long history. Again, a history that has nothing to do with slavery. Nothing. The term master and slave, all right? Particularly, this would be a thing with hardware, back with like, you know, SCSI drives or, you know, or SCSI connected hardware, um, you know, and, and so on. You would have or varying cards that you would pop into, you know, like into a PCI slot and whatever. And you would set up, say, in the BIOS or whatever, there are things that would be a master and a slave. I mean, and this goes right down to the jumpers. Now, why didn't they use primary and secondary? What were these? I mean, were the original uh, inventors of computers and the PC, were they a bunch of racist assholes? Mm, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they had some racism, you know, to some degree. But no, I don't think that that was in their mind when they're describing this. They called it this because it described the relationship. When a card and when a piece of hardware is the master and the other is the slave. It describes not primary and secondary as in which one is the most important. It describes which one is basically handing out the orders and which one is, you know, engaging in said and such work. Is that master and slave? Of course, it's a dictionary definition of master and slave. Now, again, they're arguing that it's somehow it's like racially charged. I mean, you're going to have to delete those words from the entire English language. But do you know what happens when you start deleting words, when you start deleting things, when you start burning books, when you start you know, removing all kinds of shit and you start, uh, uh, well, it's not whitewashing, but there's certainly been plenty of that that has gone on. What happens is, is that you, you end up basically ignoring and avoiding the, nay, you start pretending that it never happened. And that's far worse than leaving some words in. 
And this is another one, just like with the music where you're like stallion, but does this really matter? Is this a big deal? Ultimately, I guess it could be argued. No, not really. We could go into like a 1984 conversation where this is how newspeak starts. We could go there. But I know you're saying, boy, Stallion, you, you sound so pissed off. No, wh- the only part of this, that's there, there's two parts of this that piss me off. Okay. The part that really pisses me off is that this is, this is bullshit actions by these companies pretending to care. I mean, that, that it's just, it's nonsense. Like, Ooh, you changed some words, right? Speaking to the idea that it's not that important. Well, sure. Then what they're doing isn't important. Don't give them the time of day and don't think somehow they really care because if they really cared, they'd be doing something totally different. They wouldn't even be in their offices to worry about this. The other problem here. Okay. So a, it's the problem of that. This is, this is just a bullshit response. If you see these as very real problems, this is a company doing nothing ultimately. Now, the other problem is, is that, and in fact, we'll get into this when we get to the Q and a for this, for this week, for this episode, when I was a kid, so I've always had computers around me always. My dad, little Jewish guy just had computers fucking everywhere. You know, the old Ataris, everything. I mean, and I don't mean the console, I mean the computer. Uh, you know, I had a Commodore 64 basically my whole life. Um, still kind of do that, <laughs> you know, just, I've always been surrounded by computers. And I learned at a very young age how to use a computer, how to repair computers and so on. All right. I've been working on, working on, literally working on computers, uh, since I was barely, not even a teenager. Now the terms, and as a Jew, I understand these, I I could, you know, if I, if I wanted to uh, have a problem with those terms, oh boy. I mean, all I got to do is think about Moses, you know? (laughs) Okay. And I'm not saying you can't have problems with these terms. If you do, you do. I, there are terms I have problems with my real problem. All right, real quick. I, I want to finish that story, but real quick, my real issue with language isn't the words that exist. It's the words that don't, that we need. I don't need to, I don't want to delete any word, not one. I want them to always be there. Just like I always want mine Kampf in print so that we know, really know what evil looks like and when it's lurking. what fascism looks like. Now, so I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to delete any words. I don't want to change any words. Okay. There might be things that, I mean, the only thing you want to do and, and look, if this is what GitHub had recommended, if they came up with a new term that, that had a specific definition that gave you the sense of what the processes were. Okay. Because I, this is going to, it's, I mean, they, they basically said it in, in the ZDNet article that this is being looked at, like everybody's looking at this. What terms can we get rid of? There are no, I, I can't think of another term. The, the only thing you could do, and, and, and I know people complain about this. I mean, like maybe you could use the word executive, but then executives would hate that, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, fuck them anyway, but <laughs> But maybe you could use like, like executive and peon. I don't know. Would that, would that be better? But there needs to be prime. I know I'm all over the place on this, but this is just so, this is really frustrating. So like I was saying as a kid, when I was a kid and my father was explaining to me 
how computers work. And he was describing all of the parts to me. He used the terms motherboard. He used terms like master, slave, and so on. And every time he used them, I had instant, instant understanding Okay, of what they did. They are accurate descriptors that terms like primary and secondary or main and secondary do not describe. And it is a loss to, especially at a time when more and more people, they need, this is something we talk about all the time on Sovereign Tech, people need to learn how computers work. You need to learn how software works. Okay, and the easiest way to learn how something works is when proper terminology is used for what is being done. That's why we have a million different terms for something that is effectively a malicious act against a computer, right? That's why we have spyware, malware, you know, I mean, they all have terms that come in and that describe what is being done. That's why we call, you know, uh, certain exploits, like we have a worm, right? It's describing what it does. Master and slave is describing what it does. Main and secondary is not describing what it does. If GitHub, if Silicon Valley in general, I don't know, they have some kind of standards or something they want to run off of. If they want to invent new words that describe not the primacy of any piece of software or any document or of any, or of any hardware, but that describe the relationship between it and other hardware, other code, other, and so on. Great. Come up with the new word. I will wave that flag. Okay. But the issue here is that they're replacing it with things that are substandard explanations of what it does or what it is in a relation to a computer, in a relation to software, in a relation to hardware. And it's them pretending that they somehow care about what these protesters are going on about when you know, as well as I do, they don't, you know, they're, they're full of shit. There were plenty of rappers that came out against what Apple was doing with their, with Apple music on hashtag blackout Tuesday. Okay. Rightfully so, because they're like, Oh yeah. Like you people care now. And that could be said for a lot of this. Like, wait a minute, this stuff's been going on forever. Why, why do you suddenly give a shit now? Now, again, with, with this, I mean, the, the conversation's been being had for a little while, right? Where, or for a few years anyway, where they have been changing terms and so on. I have a hard time understanding how somebody was offended by the use of the word motherboard, but whatever, you know, um, I mean, I'm still going to call it a motherboard just like I am still generally going to describe things. If I was taking apart a 386 SX in front of me right now, there are boards that I would call master and slave. If I was writing some code right now, there are documents where, you know, there'd be master and slave and so on, because it accurately describes, is it a good way to go about it? Sure. Maybe not. But I mean, if we're so, again, if we are so hot on trying to get rid of, you know, authoritarian language, then, I mean, they're, they're, we've got a long way to go. We've got a lot of things that we need to start questioning. And starting off with changing the, the terms in GitHub is meaningless. Ultimately, it's not striking at any root. It's not even striking. It's really, it's not striking at anything. You can think of what I'm saying is, is overblown. I don't, look, I told you what I'm pissed about. I'm mainly pissed about companies pretending that they care. Okay. That's what really gets me bothered about this, but also that it's just dumb. It's just stupid 
because it does not, it, it, it's a bullshit thing to do. And it, they're replacing it with things like it does not accurately describe, uh, you know, the, the, the end product, not even close. Anyway, we've got more to talk about in this very same thing. With the suddenness of a snapping finger, a whole town dies, almost without a trace. Even if you slit a person's throat, you won't get death this fast. Almost without a clue, except... <coughs> except for a six-month-old baby and a 60-year-old derelict. They have faced the Andromeda strain and survived. But will anybody else? The Robert Wise production of the most incredible bestseller of the decade. The Andromeda Strain. 130 minutes of intense excitement. 96 of the most critical hours in world history. Suspense to last a lifetime. The Andromeda Strain. Please note, no one will be seated during the last 10 minutes. Rated G, but may be too intense for younger children. The Andromeda Strain, from Universal. Issues of privacy security, and social engineering. It's HackSec. It is time for HackSec, and we're just going to keep this conversation going. Uh, Got to start that because this is all going to make a point. Okay. Story from CNN Business here. Uh, from June, yeah, Thursday, June 11th, 2020, Microsoft says it won't sell facial recognition technology to U.S. police departments. Okay, key term, won't sell to U.S. police departments, but please, let's continue. Uh, <laughs> Microsoft said Thursday will uh, Thursday it will not sell facial recognition technology to police departments in the United States, at least until there is a federal law to regulate the technology. The announcement follows in the footsteps of tech giants IBM and Amazon, which both rolled out limitations on plans to sell facial recognition in the wake of anti-racism protests around the world in response to the death of George Floyd. Microsoft President Brad Smith said any legislation on facial recognition should be firmly grounded in human rights. Quote, we need Congress to act, not just tech companies alone, end quote, Smith said at a virtual Washington Post event. Microsoft's decision adds to the pressure on lawmakers to respond to the protests focusing on racial injustice and police brutality. Studies have shown that commercial facial recognition algorithms frequently misidentify minorities and people of color. Technology companies have rapidly expanded their partnerships with law enforcement agencies in recent years, providing them with sophisticated surveillance tools that have raised concerns about citizen privacy and discrimination. Now, we can stop there for a second. First off, again, okay, if, you know, GitHub, again, is also is owned by Microsoft, right? Even though you could say Microsoft's just being a steward uh, a bit. Granted, major decisions like or what would appear to be or certainly what are being made out to be major decisions by GitHub to change to get rid of the words master and slave, uh, you know, would have to pass Microsoft's muster, right? Up until this point... Microsoft has been building up its partnerships with law enforcement to the point of, and we've talked about this over the years on the show. I mean, where they're even like trying to engage in predictive crime with police. Okay. Where, you know, they're trying to, to predict crime, right? Kind of a minority report situation. No, it's true. 
or trying anyway. Now, keep in mind that the murder of George Floyd, you know, that was the that was the match that finally lit the gasoline. But the gasoline's been everywhere and you can smell it. You, you can't avoid it. Right. So why Microsoft is suddenly taking action now and allowing for all this action. And, you know, now they're like, oh, no, now we won't sell to the police. I mean, understand the reason there's more. There's a lot more to talk about with this. The reason that they want Congress to step in is not because they want guidance as in, oh, Congress, please tell us what is best for us, you know, or anything like that. No, they want le- they want to know how they can be legally protected from, you know, uh, basically actions against Microsoft. OK, say by protesters, individuals, companies, etc. They don't care for a second about what any politician thinks. And I don't blame them because I don't care what a politician thinks either. Any single one of them. I, I just don't care. But not for a second do they care about that. All they want to know is how can we be kept from being legally liable for selling the shit and developing the shit. That's all. That's that's really what they're calling for. They make it sound like, oh, we just we don't want to just be the tech companies. Everybody needs to get involved. Blah, blah. Fuck that. If they cared about people, they wouldn't develop it in the first place. And, and we've talked too many times on the show. We cannot every single time we talk about biometrics like facial recognition, t- you know, uh, fingerprints and so on. OK, every time we talk about these things, we, I cannot do a full technical breakdown like we've done in the past on episodes explaining why these things fail. All right. I don't know how many times and this is deplorable, you know, because Google didn't seem to do much about it until somebody finally called them out on it, uh, that. Basically, their image recognition couldn't tell a black person from an ape. Anyway, let's keep going with this here. Um, Amazon's Ring subsidiary, uh, for instance, has partnerships with more than 1,300 police forces in the U.S. The company said Wednesday it will put a one-year hold on sales of its facial recognition technology to law enforcement in hopes of giving Congress time to implement appropriate rules. Again, the only reason they are bringing in Congress is so that they cannot be held legally liable because there will become a legal framework that they can bend and work and worm their way in. That's that's all that that's about. It is not about these companies caring about you, worried that somehow, uh, you know, facial recognition, and it clearly is, uh, being used against you uh, might even be programmatically inherently racist because a lot of software is only as good as its programmer. And a lot of a programmer's biases ends up in software. We've talked about this many times on the show as well. Sort of the point I was getting to earlier here. Uh, But anyway, we'll keep reading earlier this week. IBM said in a letter to Congress that it will no longer sell general purpose facial recognition services and said in a separate statement that it would no longer invest in research and development of the technology. Uh, Real quick on the IBM thing, facial recognition isn't a huge part of IBM's bottom line. It doesn't hurt them at all to do that. So again, it's it's marketing. They make it they're trying to make you think that oh somehow they give a shit about Black Lives Matter, about authoritarianism, about police brutality, about all this. It has nothing to do with that. If they cared about police brutality, if they thought, I mean, do you think what? Again, I the amount of data that these companies collect, especially Amazon. How are you not aware? And and how do you not come to the conclusion that, well, shit, maybe police forces are inherently unethical. Maybe there's a problem here. You know, I'm reminded actually of uh, Ford. Remember when the CEO of Ford, boy, he fucked up. He flubbed. I want to say this is in 2014, 2015, something like that. He flubbed. 
And he said with, you know, with new, new Fords or Fords really at the, at that point of the past decade, he said, we, we basically know every crime that happens because they track all the data that they get from their cars gives them, you know, tells them what's going on. These companies have to know if Ford knows, how do these people not know all the shit that's going on? But no, instead, all they want to do is, well, we just want to hold off for a year. Instead of saying, no, we're no longer going to support law enforcement. Okay. Reading on, civil liberties advocates welcomed Microsoft's announcement, but called for more. Quote, we also urge these companies to work to forever shut the door on America's sordid chapter of over-policing of black and brown communities, including the surveillance technologies that disproportionately harm them, said uh, Matt Cagle, an attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union of Northern California, in a statement. This is not the first time Microsoft has called for comprehensive facial recognition rules. In 2018, Smith wrote a blog post describing the technology as a genie emerging from from a bottle quote, unless we act, we risk waking up five years from now to find that facial recognition services have spread in ways that exacerbate societal issues. End quote. Uh, Smith wrote at the time, by that time, these challenges will be much more difficult to bottle back up End quote. And that Smith again was, was actually uh, Brad Smith, you know, uh, president uh, at Microsoft. And I mean, I think he's right. And, <laughs> Now, I mean, the other side of why they want Congress to get involved also probably has to do with IP, you know, has to do with patent and, and so on and making sure that Microsoft and whatever other tech giant has more uh, uh, direct control over the production of facial recognition, be it both the software and the technology, you know, overall the hardware itself. Okay. Um, Brad Smith saying that it could exacerbate uh, societal issues. Uh, I don't think he's wrong. You know, I wouldn't be surprised because also, you know, you basically have Microsoft coming out, speaking out against facial recognition technology, wanting Congress to get stepped in, to step in. Here's another possibility of why that was happening, especially in 2018. This is around the time when face ID was starting to become prevalent with Apple, right? And face ID is, uh, and also of course, Microsoft has windows. Hello, right? Which uses an IR camera to allow for facial recognition to unlock devices uh, and so on. And face ID is, is the same idea. Uh, I mean, granted, lots of Samsung phones or I'm sorry, Samsung, um, Samsung phones, Google phones. I mean, almost every manufacturer of varying smartphones, Apple obviously included with face ID and so on. Uh, they all have this facial rec recognition technology built into them. And that leads me to one of the most important points here. The ACLU or whoever seeing people say, oh, I applaud IBM. Oh. For, 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 you know, not developing any more facial recognition technology, which is certainly a stronger stance than uh, Microsoft or Amazon took. Granted, again, it doesn't affect their bottom line, so they can take the stronger stance uh, instead of compared to like a delay or whatever. Look, they, Microsoft, Amazon, name any company, doesn't matter what company it is. They could stop selling and developing facial recognition technology Right now, right this second, they can stop selling and developing. Okay. Right now. And here's the, here's the rub. It wouldn't change anything. Do you want to know why? I want you to do something for me. You're listening to this podcast. Okay. 
You might be doing uh, something that a lot of people do, how they listen to a lot of podcasts. You're on your smartphone, right? Not, I know not all of you are. Some of you, you've gone away from those things. Kudos. Uh, I want you to, to go ahead. Just, just grab your smartphone for me quick. I want you to, I want you to do something. All right. You got your, your headphones in and everything. All right. Uh, you know, just hold that smartphone, hold it up to your face. Okay. Bring it a little closer. I want it to get really, really close. All right. And then look at the top of that smartphone. You're looking at the front of it. Look at the top of that smartphone. Is that, is that a camera? Is that the camera that unlocks your smartphone with your face? Is that facial recognition? Holy shit. They could stop selling facial recognition technologies. They could stop developing them right now because it's already everywhere. And you're paying for it. It's literally everywhere in every pocket, just waiting to be pulled out whenever needed. They don't need to sell it to the police. The police can get access to, I mean, everybody's got it. Hell, I'm, I've got it right in five. There's my smartphone right next to me. God damn it. Give me a break. This is such bullshit marketing. You can tell me that everything I've been talking about is horseshit and whatever else throughout the whole, why are you complaining about that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and oh, at least the companies are trying something. No, they're not. None of these companies are doing anything worthwhile to help with any situation that's going on, be it racism, police brutality, uh, Black Lives Matter, go down the whole list, whatever term you want it, whatever you think the protests are about, uh, you know, COVID-19, go down the fucking list of all of it. None of them are doing anything. Nothing has changed. Nothing ever will change. Not for most. It's facial recognition everywhere. Like it, it's a it's a joke. It's a bad joke. And fuck the ACLU for not being able to get the punchline. Anybody who thought that this was somehow a great move or, I mean, you've got to be kidding. Ser who, who, who takes this seriously? I'm not knocking the protesters. I'm not knocking any of these people out on the streets. I am not knocking any of that shit. All I am doing is talking about the companies who somehow pretend that they fucking care, create a hashtag, say that they'll stop selling to the police, say that they're going to stop developing this, say that they're going to make, force you to listen to rap, that they're going to do, you know, change this term and this term because, uh, you know, suddenly we became sensitive overnight and whatever else when they are doing nothing. Disagree with me? Call in, baby. Leave, drop me an email, questions at SovereignTech.com. I have an open mind. My mind can be changed. You explain to me how somehow this means anything at all. This is all marketing at best, pacification at worst. You want the reality? Here's the reality. You get the system that you are dumb enough to accept. I mean, I can just see it in homes. You know, Bill, uh, I think we should really stop facial recognition. Oh, yeah? Well, honey, um, you think we should get a ring doorbell? 
crickets. Amazon still sells ring video doorbells. Isn't it cute? No more. Oh, we won't sell facial recognition to police again. They don't have to. They are calling in Congress so that they can get away with the unethically grotesque shit that they are putting upon the populace. They don't care about you. And then I'll get some free marketers who say, well, they don't have to care. Well, then do me a favor, please share the show or something. Educate people on the fact that they are building their own prison. How would you feel if you had, you know, a a prison guard just like constantly watching you, making sure you fell asleep on time, making sure you did this on time, making sure blah, 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 right? That's basically what you've got in your pocket. Someone spying on you 24-7, nonstop, as long as that thing's on or it's on your body or nearby or whatever. All this stuff that these companies are saying, all right, we're not going to do this anymore to support the police, blah, blah, blah. They don't have to. You are already doing it. You are buying it. You are buying your own bars. You are buying your own prison cell. You are empowering authoritarianism straight up. Nothing has changed. Nothing. Nothing is going to change. I mean, one day you've got, you've got cops kneeling with protesters saying black lives matter, whatever. The next day, the very same cops are killing a guy or almost killing a guy. (laughs) And you think things are going to change. I mean, don't confuse me. I want things to change too. I really do. But after many years, I have reached the hard but also freeing realization that the only way that things change for you is when you do everything in your power. And there are different extents of that for everybody. We're all individuals. When you do everything in your power to exist outside of or above the system and not be reliant upon it. And most people are just never going to do that. Frankly, when a a lot of these people go home, they're still going to want their Amazon uh, uh, product arriving the next day when they ordered it at midnight or, you know, at 1159. They're still going to want to, they're going to want their Netflix to be on, you know, they're going to, they're going to want to see their new Netflix show whatever the fuck that is. They're going to want that new Marvel movie. They're going to want this and that. They're going to want all the accoutrement. To some degree, what's happening in Silicon Valley, like there's there's a small realization of just how deeply ingrained, like I said earlier, how deeply ingrained racism is in a lot of this stuff and that most people don't even realize it. To some degree, there's a realization of that. But then what's the answer? radically different expression of living. I'm going to leave it at that. I'll be right back with some more From Big Finish Productions, Blake 7. 
the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr Avon. Kerr Avon. Our hostage arrives. But you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com Your questions. The man of tomorrow's answers. Email questions at SovereignTech.com Time for important messages. You know, I, I said I would talk about this and I got to get out of the habit of where I, I preview what we're going to talk about. And then, you know, conversations go along like ones we've had. And then, uh, you know, I, I don't get the time to talk about them. So in the interest of time, <laughs> uh, I want to make sure I do get to this because uh, I think this is a great question, an important one to some degree speaks to what we've talked about throughout this, uh, the, and well, we'll talk about that, but it's normally I wouldn't take this kind of question because it's about web browsers. All right. And you know, web browsers are very much about taste, but I, I, I thought it was so beautifully asked and so relevant that to, well, to a lot of things that I was like, okay, fine. I'm, I'm going to run with it. Um, it's really coming from a, from a great angle. So I think it's worthwhile. Here we go. Hey, big stallion. Hmm. Uh, digital marketer and mother of two little anarchists here that has been listening for years. And I take preparing those little guys for the digital world very seriously. Bravo. Uh, I stay educated by listening to you and to the surprise of anyone I talk to security now with Steve Gibson that you mention often to find podcasts to listen to. I must say, <laughs> Uh, I don't always really understand what Steve Gibson is explaining. Uh, I don't have that problem with you, but I got a double shocker this week. Mom with a double shocker. Uh, basically, <laughs> I, it's so great. I, I, I mean, I, I know I do have, you know, mothers, moms that, that, that listen to the show. Uh, anyway, um, basically you praised Microsoft Edge and Steve Gibson denounced Brave Browser for some poor decisions. My husband has recommended using Brave Browser and staying away from Edge, but then I got I get conflicting conflicting messages from the Man of Tomorrow and Steve Gibson, the two smartest men I know. Um, <laughs> your your husband's not. <laughs> I hope he's not listening. Anyway. <laughs> I'm honored, <laughs> really. I just if we're the two smart I, anyway. Okay, uh, I think I've heard you say a few times that the the browser wars are not over. And even though you seem pro Firefox most of the time, what browser do you recommend then? I realize the effect choice of browser can make and that it's not quote, not just a piece of software end quote. And my kids could even get stuck in an ecosystem as you say. So what is the best option? Is it really edge? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, 
I think I remember what I think I remember saying, yeah, edge works really well, but I, I thought I caveated that with, for what it is. Right. And if you're going for account minimalism, then yes, it's a fine choice. Right. If you, if you want as few accounts as possible, like I really applaud somebody who would basically say, okay, no, I'm only going to have a Microsoft account. Right. And I'm not going to open up a Firefox or a Mozilla account uh, for Firefox. I'm not going to open up a Google account. I'm not going to open up, you know, XYZ account, whatever. That That's awesome. Right. Because those are the less accounts that can get hacked, the less amount of vectors that you can get exploited from that. That's account minimalism, right. And software minimalism Two things that I espouse and basically came up with on the show, you know, many years ago, uh, four years, I've talked about it. So I'm glad you got that in mind. I want to say on the onset that I think it is an amazing thing that you care, you understand. Um, and I've heard other people talk about this. Like even I think Leo Laporte's talked about it where like he, he basically homesteaded uh, his kids names.com as well as like their Gmail, like an email address with their name and so on. That way it's ready for them when they get older. If parents doing this sort of thing is dynamite, getting your kids ready to handle, you know, what, what, I mean, the digital world that they're going to enter. Uh, I mean, it'd be, maybe you'd be great if they didn't have to enter a digital world at all, but that's a whole other story. Uh, yeah, I, I really, I think that's dynamite and, and I commend you uh, on that. And as a digital marketer, I mean, I'm sure you're pretty savvy, uh, on a lot of this stuff. Uh, anyway, I guess to, to, so to answer your question, yeah, now Steve Gibson did talk about the brave browser recently. Yeah. Basically there were some poor choices made on how they had a partnership with a cryptocurrency exchange and whatever. There was nothing actually like there wasn't an exploit in the code or whatever, uh, with, with brave that, that wasn't the issue there. Um, but yeah, my only argument for edge is if again, you are wanting to engage in account and software minimalism. Okay. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I, I do stand by that. The browser wars are not over. In fact, I think that really Google is losing ground. Also, I think Google's Chrome's usage numbers would actually be very different if Chromebooks weren't a thing. I mean, in hindsight, it was a brilliant move. What seemed ridiculous at the time years ago was a brilliant move on Google's part. To, I'm not saying I like it, but I mean, I'm just saying that it was a brilliant move on their business move on their part to, you know, make their web browser the operating system. Because frankly, now in 2020, for most people, and Steve Gibson says this too, now most people, you know, the, the, the web browser is their operating system, right? And so taking the web browser seriously is important to do um, for most, I mean, really for most people. And it's not as easy. I mean, I can even think back to like 2010 where I would regularly jump between browsers. Now, I mean, if I want to try out a new browser or like make a new browser, my main browser or something like that, I mean, that's, that takes some time. Like that's like setting up a whole other computer because you got to bring in all your book. I mean, and it doesn't just transfer all automatically, right? Like, I mean, especially if you're doing two FA and a lot of things, I mean, you got to set all that up. I mean, it's a real pain in the ass. So picking a browser you know, and if you want to make an account for it so that you can use it across devices or whatever, which is seems to be a big part of the future and so on, uh, that's a fine and dandy thing. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I think that's a great, you know, question to ask and thing to consider, frankly, for your kids. 
I mean, just think about with Firefox Premium, like the amount of things, like all your passwords getting stored there if you're not using LastPass and you're using Firefox Lock or whatever. I mean, so many different things could be a part of that, that like, yeah, your Firefox account is effectively the account into your OS, much like a Microsoft account is these days. You know, that's what you use to log into Windows 10 generally. You can do it without it, but certainly they've been discouraging that for years, uh, you know, and so on. So yeah, this is a very important decision to make and to make now. Um, I generally just want to say, go ahead and rock with, with Firefox because it is so, um, customizable. It is privacy respecting, uh, you know, I mean, and, and especially like when Firefox premium comes out or, and I, and I really do think that's still going to be a thing, um, that, that could really be very, very interesting and they could really take that places. And I, and yeah, I, I, I applaud that. Um, now perhaps a direction to go with this and to consider is actually not just using one web browser, but using potential again, unless you're going for, if you're going for like account and software minimalism and considering that you're probably going to enter the business world or something like that. I mean, honestly, like edge doesn't become a bad answer, you know, partly because now it's based on chromium and so on. Um, also, because I, I think there's just always going to be, and, and the divide is going to grow with Firefox being a hundred percent compatible with, you know, with the, the worldwide web at large. Um, don't use Chrome. <laughs> just, 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 just don't, uh, you know, but I mean, I, I think you're seeing how complex a situation this is and how difficult actually, and I, and I need to, you know, admit to this how difficult it is to do software and account minimalism. Um, because I mean, ultimately, like, unfortunately, as much as I want people to get away from, you know, edge and I have recommended people go to Chromebooks. I mean, then, then you are kind of going to Chrome and and then you might as well have the Google account that way you're logged into that and so on. Uh, I mean, a big part of it is what operating system are you using? Even though, you know, I mean, and, th- and that's really like that, that's a, that's a huge part of it. Um, I mean, I could say use the Tor browser, right? Because, you know, you can actually install the full version, not the Google play edition or, you know, not the Android version, but the full version of the Tor browser on a Chromebook, right? That's, that's, that's a great option, but you know, you don't, you don't log into, you don't sync across devices with the Tor browser, at least not yet. And I, I don't really picture that necessarily happening. I mean, perfect world. Everybody just uses tails, right? But not a perfect world. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I would... I would really just say, you know, go with Firefox because it is open source and there is so much on offer now with uh, other of Mozilla's features and it is available on basically every platform that you throw, you know, that, that it's, that's out there, you know, iOS, Android, Mac, Linux, uh, you know, windows and so on. Um, so that speaks well for that though, though I, I would tell you if Vivaldi was open source, the amount of customization, I mean, yeah, Firefox can be customized, you know, significantly as well, but like Vivaldi is really the way I think a web browser should always be. <laughs> and man, like if it were just open source and I think eventually it will be, I think they're just trying to like get their, their, their sea legs as it were. And they have been for a few years, but 
Um, I, I love Vivaldi, uh, brave. I don't have a problem with brave either. And brave is certainly available on every platform. I mean, I do have a problem with brave, but my problem with brave isn't with the brave browser itself. It's with the bat with that token. And I covered that a long time ago. I don't want to recover that ground here. Okay. Um, I mean, if you want to get your kid ready for the future, you know, in a future where perhaps they have something akin to, uh, you know, freedom and choice, yeah, get them used to the Tor browser, right? But, you know, they're probably going to, they might end up going to school or whatever. Or if you're unschooling them, I mean, if you're raising a little anarchist, maybe you're unschooling them. I mean, that's dynamite. If you're doing that, uh, then it doesn't really matter. Then they don't need the Google account. Then they don't need the Microsoft account, uh, you know, and so on. And they really could, you know, maybe rock Firefox um, overall. So, yeah, I would go with Firefox. Yeah, again, I really wish Vivaldi was open source uh, because it'd be such a great option. I mean, I use other ones like Falcon. This is the point I was going to get to is that while, you know, software minimalism is an important thing, um, I find that for the different aspects of my life, I need a different web browser for each because each one will have different tabs. Otherwise, I have 10 billion tabs. Firefox has that nice thing where you can group tabs, and I think Edge is going to be doing the same thing as well. Um, but yeah, really, like I, I have I have different browsers for different uh, functions. You know, like I have a web browser that handles everything Sovereign Tech. Uh, I have a web browser that handles everything more personal to me. I have a web browser that handles all of my, you know, work life and my clients and so on. Uh, in fact, actually, I think I've talked about that. I, I use Opera GX for that um, basically because I can run it off of portable apps, uh, portable apps.com. And I can always have, you know, that whatever computer I happen to be nearby and I can just slap that SD card in and power it up and, I can also throttle down when I'm not working with clients. I can just throttle down the RAM usage and CPU usage of Opera GX, which I think is, is really slick. I mean, Opera is an interesting option to go with, but again, you, yes, you are handing everything over to the Chinese government when, when you, when you use Opera. Um, so I suppose, I mean, if, if open source isn't exactly something that matters to you or you're feeling confident, like Vivaldi, Vivaldi has an Android, uh, a great, actually really, really solid, um, Android version of their browser as well. And it does sync across devices. Um, I mean, Vivaldi is a great option. Uh, like I said, I do use Falcon as well, but that's pretty basic stuff and that's not going to really sync across devices or whatever. So uh, my, I mean, my, the, in my opinion, I think the best browsers out there, especially if you're not just a windows user, um, if you're really knee deep in using Microsoft stuff, I mean, then, then frankly, edge does become viable in my opinion. Um, but otherwise, I say, you know, Firefox or Vivaldi. Again, Vivaldi, the main thing against it is that it's not it's not 100% open source. That's a shame, um, but it, it really does a great job. Bra Brave, I think, is more or less fine. I, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll just say that and we'll leave it at that. So a great question. This is definitely something, I mean, you've really, really got to, you do have to take this seriously um, because it goes well beyond the web browser right? Because the account you make for say Microsoft goes beyond edge. The account you make for Chrome goes be, you know, goes beyond the web browser, right? I mean, that goes for all Google services, um, you know, and so on. Same, same is true. And, and I mean, if you're a Mac user, my, okay, real quick, if you're a Mac and iOS user, my answer is resoundingly Safari, use Safari, use your Apple account. Okay. I don't trust Apple, but within Apple's ecosystem, they do a lot of security right. 
So if you're if you're that, yes, just just do Safari. Just just do it. There's there's not even an argument when it comes to Apple's ecosystem, in my opinion. Okay, so I'm glad I thought about that. But but that's my point is that this goes well beyond a web browser. Web browser is not just a web browser anymore, right? It comes with an account, and that account controls a whole shit ton of things. And you definitely want to secure that as much as possible as well. Um, but this is a major, major choice to make, no doubt. Uh, so yeah, again, you know, if you're Mac, Safari all day long. If you're anything else, like if you're if you're knee deep in Microsoft for whatever reason, fine, use Edge. Um, but for everybody else, if you're not knee deep in any ecosystem or you're just not knee deep right now, yeah, I'd say Firefox, uh, maybe Vivaldi if you're feeling saucy because that is such a that is such a badass web browser. Again, I just wish it was open source. Anyway, great question. Great thing to think about. Teaching your kids this stuff early. This speaks to what I was talking about earlier, right? Where, you know, the, the terms when you're teaching your children how to, and you should teach. I mean, even if you, even if you wanted your kids to grow up in some eco village or something, right. You know, where there weren't computers, it's still good for them because if they ever go out into the world at all, they're going to encounter them. They better know how they fucking work. You know what I mean? So yeah, to, to have an understanding, uh, you know, of, of like concepts like account minimalism, software, minimal software, minimalism, and why you want to engage in that, why, uh, you're using this web browser instead of the other answering those big questions using the right terms, right? Gives a child an education that will stick with them forever and allows them to build on top of any changes that happen within Silicon Valley, unless they change terms completely or, you know, block your ability to browse and so on. Right. So anyway, um, all right, great question. We'll be right back with some more sovereign tech. Woo. Hello, Sovereignati. As you know, Sovereign Tech proudly no longer puts content behind a paywall and makes thousands of hours and episodes available to you totally for free. But if you feel that stirring in your cockles or that special feeling in your heart, I beseech you, nay, I implore you to help the show out by donating. Frequenting our sponsors is key, but donations from listeners like you has always made the show go round and round. You can go to SovereignTech.com to set up an automatic monthly donation, or you can donate via the Bitcoin address in the show notes. And now you can even donate with the Cash app at cash.app and use the money tag Sovereign Tech. So many ways to help out the show, and I'm honored by all of it, allowing us to build and be the future. Now, let's get back to the show. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here's your host, Brian Sovereign. Yeah, this is something I've been wanting to get into and we can end the show on a bit of a high note. No, we can't. Fuck. <laughs> Cause this is stupid. <laughs> uh, so there was a major, okay. So a, a situation happened. Um, I'm going to extend the show just a few minutes to cover this. Cause I want to get this news out there and just talk about it briefly. 
um, because I've had a lot of people ask. So, because this is where we get to talk about video games. So there was a, I guess, a reporter from Famitsu, which is like the biggest video game magazine and one of the most well-respected video game magazines in the world, but out of Japan. Okay, definitely one of the biggest in Japan. It's big in Japan. Uh, And there was an announcement that, oh, Sega has, you know, like this, this is a few weeks ago, that Sega has, beginning of June, I guess, they had some big announcement that they were going to make that was just going to change everything. It was this world-changing thing, and everybody got all hyped up or whatever. And then there was leaked information about a Game Gear Mini, or what actually would end up being called a Game Gear Micro from Sega. And people are like, oh, I hope that's not the big news. And we were told, no, that's actually not the big news. When we found out what the big news was, it actually just has to do with like cloud processing for gaming out of Sega's arcades or some bullshit. It it was something interesting, perhaps for the like for the gaming industry, but not for gamers themselves. And people were obviously hoping for maybe it'd be the Dreamcast 2 or something. And believe me, I would be a, I'd be totally on board for that. But that's not what it was. Uh, but we did get the announcement, uh, I believe, on June 3rd for the Sega uh, Game Gear Micro. And while I have been a fan of the retro consoles that have come out as late, and I think most of them have been pretty fairly well done, most of them, not all, but but most of them. Uh, this is this might be the worst of the bunch. <laughs> this is so bad. And, and it's not because the Game Gear was somehow bad back in the day. I mean, we could have arguments about how, like, you know, the batteries would only last 20 minutes or something, or the thing was the size of a loaf of bread, you know, with a little two-inch screen on it. I mean, certainly we could get into those arguments. But the game selection on the Game Gear, a lot of that was actually really, really solid stuff. Some of it was just ports from the Master System, which... Maybe Sega shouldn't call it that anymore, but, um, <laughs> the, sorry, the, uh, yeah. Anyway, some of them were ports like the, you know, most people don't even know, uh, like I'm a big fan of Sonic the Hedgehog. I love saying, uh, Sega's, uh, you know, c- catalog. Um, but there's like, there's eight bit games. There's eight bit versions of Sonic the Hedgehog games for, uh, for like Sonic, uh, Sonic one and two. And they're very different games. I think they're better than Sonic one and two personally, like for that or for the Genesis generally, like, I, I think they're absolutely brilliant. Now they, they become really challenging on the game gear because they had to, uh, they had to do because they were meant for like a big TV and all you have was a little game gear screen. Um, you run into issues where this, this happened with the super Mario brothers deluxe for the game boy color as well, where you kind of had to pan the camera up to see like if an enemy was coming and, and that made the game exceedingly difficult. Um, I have both of those games on my 3DS, which you could get through the virtual console on there. But I, I totally think they're, I mean, they're just brilliant and, and worth it. Um, the Game Gear Micro, though, again, like I said, the Game Gear actually had a great catalog of games. I mean, there, there's some real, real gems on there. But before you think you're going to be able to play all of them, uh, you know, on a on a Game Gear Micro, <laughs> I think these are supposed to drop in October worldwide. I know in Japan, I believe it's October 6th, but you basically have four of them. Uh, there, there are four different Game Gear micros, four different colors. There's black, blue, yellow, and red. And each one of those has four games on them. And that's all each one. And each one has different games on them. So it's not one of those great deals. And I think it sells for, was it 50 bucks? I think that they go for 
yeah, 50 bucks around there. Um, it's not, you know, it's not like when you spent whatever, 50, 60 bucks on, you know, a SNES mini or a NES mini and you got whatever, 30 games or, or, you know, a tremendous value, quite frankly. No, (laughs) this is it's, and it's tiny. Like these, these things are very small. They only have like a 1.15 inch screen, which is even smaller, obviously than what the game gear originally had. Uh, and, and, and that's it. Like they, they expect you to play it on that. I don't even think these things connect to a TV. Uh, it, it's, it's fucking insane. Uh, it does have a headphone jack. They can charge by USB and it can run off of two, uh, AAA batteries. Okay. Uh, backlit screen. Of course that was right. <laughs> it was the game gears winner against the, uh, the game boy for actually for a long time, but, um, yikes. The, not <laughs> I, I'm like I said, I'm a, you know, it's Sega's 60th anniversary. So they're making a big deal out of that by doing these varying announcements and everything. I mean, I'm a big fan of a lot of Sega's properties. Um, I, I've often said the dreamcast is the greatest game console. Anyway, the greatest game console of all time. Um, I mean, there's arguments for, you know, that, that where I could get swayed on some others, but like maybe the PS two, but otherwise dreamcast is like the fucking shit. And like the Saturn was way ahead of its time. Uh, I mean, I love Sega and I love retro consoles. I'm not buying a single one of these fucking things. <laughs> no way. So the black one comes with, I mean, just to lay it out, the black one comes with a Sonic, the hedgehog, which like I said, the eight bit version of that, if that's what it is, is awesome. That, that it's, it's a great game. So I'm not going to knock it, but okay. Then there's Puyo Puyo two outrun great game uh, and Royal stone. So that's in the black one. On the blue one, you get Sonic Chaos, Gunstar Heroes, uh, Sylvan Tail, and Baku Baku Animal. The yellow one, you get uh, three Shining Force games, which is pretty interesting. And then one that I can't pronounce, Nezapuyo Aru Noru. Uh, I, when, when this comes to the West, I, I, I'm curious what that'll, what that'll be. Uh, then the red one comes with Revelations, the Dream, the or the Demon Slayer, uh, Megami Tensei Gaiden, Last Bible Special, the GG Shinobi, uh, that being the Game Gear Shinobi, which was a great game, and Columns, which, yeah, that's pretty good. But, so, I mean, those are all interesting games. Might be worth the 50 bucks for one of these. Granted, you're not getting, uh, well, what's Sonic? No, Sonic Chaos isn't isn't Sonic 2. Anyway, whatever. You're, you're, there's, just, there's some glaring omissions here. If they all came on one and it was 50 bucks, maybe I'd jump on this, you know, but I probably would barely ever touch it, particularly because a lot of these games, I mean, to say nothing of emulators, I have a lot of these on 3DS or other Nintendo hardware. Uh, it's just, it's not an exciting proposition. And and I just can't, I'm trying to fathom the person that would say, yeah, day one for me on this. Really? <laughs> now, apparently if you buy all four, which again is going to run you at least a couple hundred bucks, if you buy, if you buy all four, Sega will throw in their, uh, what did they call it? The big window, where it was like a magnifying glass that you could put over the game gear back in the day that would, you know, make the screen seem bigger or whatever. They had these for game boy as well. Uh, they have one for the, uh, for the game gear micro it, but you have to buy all four to get that from Sega. I, <laughs> I can't imagine they're producing many of these. It's just, it, frankly, it just seems insulting especially since they made it like it was a big fucking announcement or whatever, you know, the big announcement for your 60th anniversary would be amazing is if you did, yeah, we're going to put out the Sega Saturn mini hell. Yeah. 
You better believe I'll day one that. But this? Yeah. I, I was <laughs> I was not impressed uh, whatsoever by the announcement. And and I don't think these, I mean, these aren't worth I maybe 10 bucks might be fun, might be kind of interesting, but it'd have to be 10 bucks. So the Game Gear Micro, skip this thing. You know, it considering that the Genesis Mini was actually a really good effort, I'm I'm amazed that the, somehow they thought that this was a good idea. And like, this is not a sequel to that whatsoever. So real fail on Sega's part. And especially like some of their, their leaked uh, uh, info that they gave to Famatsu, all of that just fail, fail, fail. Sorry, Sega. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Sovereign Tech. I'll be back with more very soon because we've got a lot to cover. And I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Thank you for listening to Sovereign Tech, an Osiris One production. Now go out there and make some trouble. Get it, do you, Jean-Luc? The trial never ends. We wanted to see if you had the ability to expand your mind and your horizons. And for one brief moment, you did. When I realized the paradox. Exactly. For that one fraction of a second, you were open to options you had never considered. That is the exploration that awaits you. Not mapping stars and studying nebula but charting the unknown possibilities of existence.